Today on Blue 58, it's the bye week, but does that mean there's no Packers news to talk about? No, not in the slightest. Buckle up, we've got a lot to get to today, including Snacks Harrison, the offensive line, a bright outlook for the Packers defense, and much more. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, very happy to be with you here for another episode. And what an episode it is going to be. We have eight, eight topics to get to today. Not a lot on each one of them, but enough that I didn't want to leave anything out. Um, If you are looking at your show notes, it's going to look a little bit different today. They're a little bit light, and that's by design. Because of how many things that we're going through, it didn't feel like it paid to, to link to each and every one of them. If there's something that you just don't aren't interested in, just skip a couple minutes and, and we'll be on to something else. Or, or just hang in there. Maybe maybe it turns out to be more interesting than you thought it would be. First and foremost, the first thing we got to talk about today is the homepage at thepowersweep.com. I have recently updated the homepage. It should be a little bit cleaner, a little bit more straightforward and give you better access to stuff more quickly. More importantly, it's going to allow us on the back end to update things a little bit more easily and get you access uh, to the newest content the most quickly. What you'll see there if you go to thepowersweep.com is the most recent episode of Blue 58 via the Spotify player. That is the best-looking player. I'm also going to throw a couple links up there eventually to the other subscription services that we offer um, on uh, the podcast on, which should be just about all of them, I think, of the big ones. Uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, um, Spotify, of course. We are now actually on Amazon Music as well. So if you want to listen there, if that's the most convenient way for you to do that, that is is another option for you. You'll also find links to our four most recent written pieces, either from Acme Packing Company or at thepowersweep.com, as well as links to all of our advanced stats. So go take that uh, go take a look at that. Let me know what you think, and we'll make tweaks as needed from here. But I'm pretty happy with how things look right now. So I'm interested to hear what you what you think. There is an article up there right now that I think you will like, and it's it's kind of related to a theme that we've talked about a lot in 2020. Uh, it's based on a question from Ted, a Blue 58 listener. Ted asked. You have a recent memory of a time you thought a Packers player wouldn't be nearly as good as they ended up becoming or vice versa, especially if you thought a different player at the same position would become a star that ended up becoming a dud. I won't talk through the whole place, uh, po- whole piece here, but basically it breaks down to uh, thinking Dayton Jones, the Packers' first-round pick in the 2013 draft, was going to be good, and thinking Mike Daniels might not turn out to be, well, to be pretty much anything at all. I dive into why I thought those things and stuff like that. But the point overall of the piece is that it's okay to be wrong. Sometimes it's good even to have been wrong and recognize that you were wrong because that's when you have an opportunity to learn things. So take a look at that piece and uh, and let me know what you think. And if you have any questions, uh, send them in. The Powersweep1959 the, uh, at gmail.com is the best email address to reach the show. Uh, check out the contact page at thepowersweep.com as well. Those are probably two of the best outlets for getting your question to the show. And uh, if it's a good question that that deserves podcast discussion, I will discuss it here. If it is better answerable in written form, I'm, I'm going to try to do more of that as well. So go ahead and throw those questions this way. Now to actual news. Speaking of defensive linemen, Damon Snacks Harrison is not going to be coming to Green Bay. He signed 
this week with the Seattle Seahawks practice squad or announce plans to sign there this week. And it, it that is not entirely surprising. I said on the last postgame podcast, if I was Seattle, I wouldn't let him leave town. If I thought he was any good at all, I would give him an offer that uh, would ensure that he didn't go anywhere else and, and decide to stay there as well. Honestly, the Packers may not have had much of a shot here. They're probably more leverage than anything. He's telling the Seahawks, sign me or I'm going to go join your biggest rival. Or the, the, the team that looks like they're going to give you the most trouble in the NFC should you run into them in the playoffs. That's a fair thing to do. He's making a business decision. The Seahawks are making a business decision. Bringing however much leverage you can into a business negotiation is always a good idea. So can't fault him for that. I've seen a few people a little bit bitter about this. Um, I understand that. I There's a part of me. So I, it feels sometimes like I'm, I'm I don't want to say playing a character, but but the thing that we try to do on this show is is do smart, um, facts-based, analytical, look at things from every angle sort of analysis. I think that's the best way to do things. But there is a part of me that sees people, sees players that are getting attention and wants them on the Packers. There is a big part of me that wants to be the team making the news like that, making the splash in season. So I understand why people are bitter. The thing that I want most as a fan of the Packers is that week of coverage or longer, month of coverage, that teams get after they win the Super Bowl that makes it seem like they invented the whole dang sport. I want that coverage that is so saccharine and sweet about the Packers that it almost makes you want to stop reading it, and yet you got to get every little scrap of it that you possibly can. Because that's what teams that win get. They get to be talked about like they are the absolute genius. Everyone has to sit there and say, look at what this team did. They won the Super Bowl. And signing the trendy free agent is like a microcosm of that. I want that feeling. I think that's part of being a fan. So I get the people who are a little bit bitter about it. What I don't necessarily get quite as much and I, I see this sentiment reading through the comments, so maybe a little bit of a, a skewed perspective here, reading through comments on like Packersnews.com's article and stuff like that. A lot of Facebook comments and stuff. A lot of people saying, well, obviously he's washed, so maybe not that big of a loss anyway. Maybe he is. Maybe you're just a little bit bitter. But the question really isn't whether or not he was all washed up or not. The question is whether... Snacks was better than any defensive lineman on the Packers not named Kenny Clark. And I think that's a probable yes. Dean Lowry and Tyler Lancaster are the ones that are going to give him the most battle right there. And Lancaster has been a little bit better of late. Still not quite what you want. And I'm kind of off the Dean Lowry bandwagon as, as much as I have defended him, even though if his, his contract, though not great, is not, not really hurting the Packers either. But other than that, you've got Montrevious Adams and Billy Wynn. And I think it's if you're just looking for a rotational lineman, Snacks Harrison is probably better than both of those guys. So at the very least, he would have given you a four-man defensive line rotation of Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry, and Tyler Lancaster. Uh, and and uh, and himself, obviously. So that, that seems like a step up to me. 
Unfortunately, it's not going to happen. I would like to see the Packers upgrade their run defense, but outside of somebody that we, we haven't heard of a lot, there's, there's just not a lot of uh, uh, options out there. So what becomes of the Packers' defense anyway? Topic number four. The defense has been the source of much consternation for Packers fans and media creators or whatever alike, and rightfully so, I think. If there's a weak link on the Packers right now, it's not the offense. So what is the prognosis of the defense? We talked about the possibility of firing Mike Pettin in the not-too-distant past. Something like that may still be an option. I don't really know what the what the rest of the season holds for the defense, but I think there is at least one perspective where you can be bullish on what the, the Packers' defense can do. Here are a couple of things that I know about the Packers. First, the Packers haven't had Kenny Clark, other than one half of one game. The Packers have also had to move a bunch of other guys around as a result. So I wonder if as the defense sort of comes back towards its intended form, if things might not get a little bit better. With Kenny Clark out, they've had to play Zadarius Smith a lot inside. That's fine, he can do that. But playing Smith inside also puts more, uh, Zadarius Smith inside also puts more pressure on Preston Smith, which also puts more pressure on Rashawn Gary. The Packers have also been a little bit weak up the middle. They've had to rely a lot more on Chris Barnes and Ty Summers than I think we probably thought they would have. Barnes has been a nice player. He wasn't the, the, the plan for player there. Kenny Clark is coming back here in the near future. That helps Zedarius Smith because he can move back outside where, where he can be most comfortable in addition to moving back inside an advantageous situation. It's going to help Preston Smith because he's not going to get the outside rusher attention um, pass blocking attention that he he has been getting with with Zedarius rushing inside. It's going to help Rashawn Gary for similar reasons. Kamal Martin is going to be back before too long, which helps the inside linebackers. And Raven Green is finally getting into the lineup as well, and he is better in the defensive backfield at safety at least than everybody not named Adrian Amos right now. That still leaves the Packers with a couple questions. Defensive back depth is one of them. They are one injury away at corner from having big snaps go to Josh Jackson. That is not ideal. The defensive line depth is still an issue, as we've talked about. We're one injury to Kenny Clark away from being right back where we started. Things can get better. There's also the the fact of the matter that the Packers haven't been doing a great job generating turnovers so far this year. And turnovers are a little bit fickle, but they're significantly behind the pace of where they were last year even playing the relatively dismal quarterbacks they've played so far. It can get better. And I think there's at least some reason to think that it will. In the meantime, at least we don't have to obsess about signing Damon Harrison anymore. But on that note, I am also extremely excited to discover who the next object of desire for Packers fans becomes. Because you know it's going to be somebody. It's somebody every year. Last year, we couldn't hear the end of Emmanuel Sanders. Maybe for good reason, maybe not. For years, we've toyed on and off with Odell Beckham Jr. But you know, as we get closer to the trade deadline, we're going to hear a lot of the Packers got a trade for blank takes out there. And they're out there just waiting to be spoken into existence or written. Maybe Kenny Stills 
is going to be the guy this year. I've seen a lot of people talking about that. Got a couple good listener and reader questions here that I would like to get to in this episode as well. Jacob asks, during the broadcast on the Monday night, I noted that Brian Greasy made a point about how much of a threat jet motion from Tyler Irvin was in a particular play. In combination with what you said on the podcast earlier this week about Malik Taylor's orbit motion, I do think it's a bit odd that defenses seem to be threatened so much by jet motion. I know we had some success with Tyler Irvin doing it in week one, but overall I just don't see why defenses seem to give it a lot of respect. Irvin only has nine offensive touches so far this year and only had six last year when combining the regular season and playoffs. Do you believe the use of jet motion is mostly to help make every play look the same? I do, but I think there's a lot more to it than that. So just a brief recap what uh, what, uh, Jacob is talking about here. Jet motion refers to when a player comes rapidly across the formation, usually from the slot, but not always, and is moving at or near where the quarterback and running backs will be making their exchange at the time of the snap. You know when you see it. It's usually Tyler Irvin coming quickly across the formation near the time when the, the ball is snapped. First thing to note about this is that the Packers do things like this a lot. According to ESPN Seth Walder, the Packers have had a man in motion at the snap on almost 20% of their plays so far this year. 19.6%, in fact. That is fifth most in the league. And that number might actually be higher if you count pre-snap motion and shifts and stuff like that. That wouldn't be jet motion, but they use a lot of motion in their offense is the point. That's the part of making every play look the same that Jacob is talking about. Matt LaFleur wants to have the illusion of complexity in his offense. He wants to have a lot of moving parts, all kind of going the same direction all the time and be able to run a lot of different plays off of similar looks. That's great. That's a a great way to build an offensive system, and it's working great for the Packers so far. So doing that consistently helps every play look the same. So that's the first thing. That's the first thing the Packers are trying to do. Secondly, doing this is not necessarily about getting the ball to Tyler Irvin, but about giving the defense something to think about. You'll occasionally hear color commenters use the phrase window dressing to talk about plays with a lot of motion and stuff like that. What they mean is the offense is doing things that don't actually affect the play, but are giving the defense things to look at and think about. So in this instance, a very fast guy is moving across the formation with a chance to get the ball. As Jacob rightly points out, Tyler Irvin doesn't get the ball a lot, but there's a chance he could. And as a defender, you can't not think about that. And in week one, The Packers gave the Vikings and everyone they played subsequently a good reason to think about that a lot. They did a lot of the the jet motion stuff into actual plays that that gave the motion man the ball a lot. They did a lot of little tap passes and things like that, little end around type stuff. In in week one, Alan Lazard had a couple real big, nice plays on that very design, running jet motion in front of Aaron Rodgers in a shotgun set. He had the first explosive play of the year on a running play, if you can believe that. For Alan Lazard and Jet Motion, yeah, who knew? But just doing that gives the defense something to think about because you can't not respect that. There is a chance he could get the ball. And thirdly, if you are going to give Tyler Irvin or whoever it is running that motion, the ball, it's a good, a good way to take advantage of their speed. So especially in the case of Tyler Irvin, if you hand it off to him doing the jet motion, he is already running at full speed. 
Everybody else, most other people, are standing still at the snap of the ball. If you want to throw it to them, throw it to him, excuse me, it's an easy way to get him to the edge of the defense very quickly. And that's a relatively high percentage throw. Suddenly you've got a fast guy out near the edge of the formation in space with a chance to to run all over the place. That seems like a, a pretty good play design. If they cover the short throw, chances are it's going to be with a linebacker or with a safety or other defensive back coming very quickly towards the line of scrimmage. So it'd be very easy to turn his route upfield if he catches the ball at the line of the line of scrimmage or go upfield without the ball, make it into a wheel route or a seam route or something like that. And suddenly you've got a guy with 4-4-ish speed zooming down the sideline or zooming right down the heart of the defense from the word go and away you go. That's a good design. So yes, it is part of just making every play look the same, but it's also part of getting your playmakers in position to make big plays. And as they've shown with Alan Lazard, you don't necessarily have to be a burner to take advantage of the opportunities you get with jet motion. It's about positioning here, one of the, the big factors in, in all of play, play calling, getting your guys in position where they can take advantage of their skills. Speaking of taking advantage of their skills, Garrett asks, um, via YouTube actually, Hey John, thanks for keeping me sane during the past few years at college. Go Warhawks, go Warhawks indeed. I've never, or I, I, I didn't go to um, Whitewater, but I've been there exactly one time. Enjoyed the campus. Uh, it was rather unusual circumstances. That's a story for a different day. Garrett says, I have a listener question. Rod, Rogers mentioned this offseason he found some mechanical things to fix in his game. Meanwhile, last season you talked about him throwing off his back foot and having poor footwork. Have you noticed any changes in his footwork this year? And if so, how much do you think it accounts for his success? Well, I have noticed uh, a visible change in, in the way Aaron Rodgers is operating in the pocket. He is throwing the ball off balance a lot more or a lot less frequently. He's stepping into throws a lot more. And I think just generally playing with a lot more fundamentals. It doesn't seem like he's looking to bail on things and get out of the pocket quite as quickly anymore. And he's just playing very, I I guess the word that I would use to describe it is centered. He's over his feet uh, when he's standing in the pocket. Uh, He looks composed. Um, He looks tight in a good way, not not like tight, like wound up um, in in a bad way but just like in control. And that was not really the case the last couple of years. I think you can really see the results too uh, in a couple different circumstances, uh, really on deep balls and on throws into tight windows. There are three plays that think that come to mind um, as, as sort of idiomatic of, of this phenomenon. In week one of the 2019 season, Aaron Rodgers threw a deep ball to Marquez Valdez-Scantling that ultimately set up what I think was the game's only touchdown. That ball was up in the air forever. And you could see MVS had to adjust a little bit to it because it wasn't going to make it all the way to where he was. And that's that's a considerable problem for him because he is very fast. It's easy for him to get deep in a hurry. The play or the pass was ultimately caught, but had it been delivered on target and in stride, it might have been a touchdown outright. There were a lot of throws like that last year where where Rodgers was fading away from the line of scrimmage when he threw the ball. But this year, 
if you look at plays like his 72-yarder to Alan Lazard in Week 3, just a gorgeous throw. Gets the snap, steps up, steps into the throw, kind of rocks into it, almost a little crow hop type throw, throwing on time, hits Lazard in stride. Big play for the Packers, nearly goes all the way for a touchdown. You can also see those improved fundamentals paying off in tight window throws. This week's short touchdown throw to Robert Tanyan is a great example. So Tanyan had three touchdowns in week four, and the the short, the eight-yard one was my favorite. Uh, Just a tight window throw, had to step up, fire a dart, and boy, did he deliver it. On time, on the money, in a relatively small window. And that's a throw that I'm not sure that Rodgers makes last year. That's a difficult throw if you're trying to do it all arm. But he got his lower body into it, stepped into it, delivered it on time, and it was just a great, great play. And, and what a catch, too. That's a as good a series of examples as I can give you as to why fundamentals matter and why Rodgers playing with better fundamentals this year has been a great thing for the Packers. And I hope it continues. I hope that when they play tougher defenses, those fundamentals don't disappear. I think the way things are going so far, we have reason to believe that they're not going to. Uh, but I, I'm I'm hopeful that they will continue. Let's talk about our polling for this season and uh, the stats that we track here at the at the four game mark. For polling, no real big surprises this week. Everybody's holding pretty steady, but we have three pretty defined tiers. Uh, in our big figures in the Packers. Very high up up at the top, uh, near 100% or at 100% of your Matt LaFleur is the team overall, Matt LaFleur himself, and uh, and Aaron Rodgers. They are up very near 100% or actually added if you are Matt LaFleur this week. Tier 2 is Brian Gutekunst and Sean Menenga. Gutekunst has been between 70 and 75% approval rating for most of the season, and, and Sean Menenga has been steadily rising as the Packers special teams have continued to not screw things up for the Packers, which is given how they've performed essentially since like 2014. That's about, it feels like, all you can ask for the Packers special teams. Just don't lose the game for us. And so far they haven't. Haven't even committed a penalty so far, knock on wood. And then in Tier 3 is Mike Patton all by his lonesome, which is insane to think about uh, if you consider where he was just a year ago. There were a couple weeks in there where he had 100% approval ratings. Now he's hovering about 15%. It's a rough time to be Mike Patton right now. As to our stats, here's a couple quick takeaways from each of the big stats that we track. Uh, First in the Aaron Rodgers Adjusted Net Yards Per Attempt Tracker, Aaron Rodgers is at an adjusted net yards per attempt of 10.13 cumulatively over his past four games. He hasn't had a rolling average in any four-game stretch over 10 since the the run-the-table run in late 2016. That's the kind of form that Aaron Rodgers is playing with right now. Ball Hawks, making plays on the ball. Your top three right now is Adarius Smith with six. Jair Alexander has four. And of course, as expected, Kingsley Kiki has four. Two sacks, a forced fumble, and a batted pass. As expected, everyone was just looking forward to the Kingsley Kiki. Big plays on the ball breakout season, of course. In terms of explosive plays, speaking of big plays, wow. The Packers have 39 explosive plays through four weeks. They're on pace for 156. 
The previous high in my database is 133, all the way back in Aaron Rodgers' MVP year of 2014. Aaron Jones leads the way for the Packers in explosive plays with 11 this year. He had 26 last year. He is the only player on the Packers with one in every game so far. Alan Lazard, until he was hurt, had one in every game as well. He is currently number two on the Packers with five explosive plays. Pass rushing numbers. In production ratio, Zadarius Smith is on top after a huge week four with a PR of 2.75 for the season. That is not going to hold. That would be the best mark in the last 20 years of Packers history by a considerable margin. But still, going pretty strong and has been fairly productive through four weeks. Rashawn Gary has more than doubled his production ratio. He's up to 0.83 right now. That's below the one threshold that we would like to see, but still uh, pretty good considering that he played most of his last game with an injury and, and may have even been out for most of the second half. On a play-by-play basis, if we look at pass rush percentage, the numbers aren't quite so good. On a per-snap basis, Zedaria Smith is only generating pressure on about 8% of his rushes. That is down from 16% last year. Kenny Clark and Rashawn Gary, though, are right up at the top of the list for the Packers. They are at 16.7% and 15.6% apiece. Preston Smith has all but disappeared this year. He's only getting pressures on 1.7% of his rushes so far this season. That's another reason I think the Packers' defense is going to turn around. Preston Smith cannot possibly be this bad for an entire season. It would be well below his his career marks to date in this particular metric um, if if he held at this pace. This would be about half of where Montrevious Adams is right now uh, on a snap-by-snap basis. So if he can get back to even like 80% of his previous typical career performance, we'll be in much better shape on defense. Finally, we're going to do a little bit of an extended discussion on our last metric that we, we talk about. Penalties and sacks per 65 snaps. I haven't even mentioned this one so far this season because there's been nothing to track. Nothing to track on the Packers' offensive line. They've played like eight linemen, 50 or more snaps, I think, so far. Might be seven. Uh, John Runyon is at like 30-something snaps, so it really doesn't matter for him. But still, of all of the guys to play offensive line for the Packers so far this year, only three have non-zero per 65 rates of making mistakes, basically. David Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, and Lucas Patrick. And most of those are because of penalties and not sacks. Depending on which data source you use, they may not have any sacks allowed at all because the sacks that the Packers have given up so far this season could probably be charged to Aaron Rodgers. And it's always good to remember that quarterbacks have a lot of control over the sacks that they take. For our purposes, though, we will continue to go with SIS's number, Sports Information Solutions numbers, and uh, they give uh, Patrick and Jenkins a sack allowed this year apiece. Take that with a grain of salt all um, charting services are a little bit different. The big question is, why are these rates so low? So these would be career bests for each of these guys by a long ways, even for David Bakhtiari, who has been an elite lineman for a long, long time. Why are the numbers so low? Well, first, they're playing well. We talked about that a few episodes back. The offensive line 
coaching staff is doing a really good job. Adam Stenovich is doing a great job putting together a game plan. Luke Butkus is doing a good job helping him out. And the Packers are, 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 are frankly, just not in a lot of positions where teams are getting a good opportunity to rush the passer. But also, these numbers are low because penalties league-wide are down. We talked about this in the relatively recent past, too. Penalties league-wide have been very low on the offensive line. The Packers have four offensive holding penalties so far this year. The league average is 3.19 per team. So a little under one per game. The Packers are at exactly one per game on average, according to NFLPenalties.com. And of course, they're just not giving up that many sacks. If you look at some of the elite linemen around the league, they're also playing pretty well. Uh, Looked at a lot of the Pro Bowl rosters or looked at the Pro Bowl rosters for 2019 and and ran the numbers on, on all of the linemen still in the league that I could. Most of them are under 0.5 or so in this metric. The only real exceptions are just a couple of the rookies that I looked at. Andrew Thomas, uh, the tackle that the Giants took ahead of Mekhi Becton, which is looking like a huge mistake, uh, has given up five sacks and has been penalized once in 251 snaps. His penalties and sacks per 65 rate is 1.55. That is very bad. Uh, Trent Williams, also having a rough start to this season, has been penalized three times and given up two sacks in 262 snaps. That's a 1.24 rate. But other than that, a lot of the elite linemen throughout the league have been pretty good. Zach Martin of the Cowboys is at a zero. Taylor Lewin of the Titans is at a zero. Teron Armstead of the the Saints is at a .51. Alex Mack of the Falcons is at a .22. And, And the numbers are lower for interior linemen in general, but it's... It's, it's a league-wide trend. Offensive lines are getting a great opportunity to pre- protect their quarterbacks, and they're not making mistakes, really, at all. And I think that's a good thing for the league as a whole. I think the league's focus on saying that we only want to call really egregious penalties sounds bad, but when it comes to the product on TV, I think it ends up being a net positive for the viewing experience at home. I want to watch Aaron Rodgers throw the ball. And I want to watch Aaron Jones run with it. I don't want to watch Walt Coleman say holding number 69 10-yard penalty. And I know that stinks for defensive players, but that's just the way it is. This is an offensive league. People want to watch offense. So I've got for you on this episode If you have stuff you want to talk about during the bye week, get it to me. I would be happy to research topics that you're into, to try to answer whatever questions we can, to dive deep on stuff that we normally don't get a chance to talk about. Send them my way. Probably looking at Wednesday for another podcast of next week. Um, But just given that there's, there's no game on Monday, we don't have a lot of stuff to talk about this weekend. But, um, I would be happy to take your questions on whatever you can think of this bye week. So get them to me. Let me know what you want to talk about. And we'll do, we'll ramp up to Rogers Brady. What is this number four 
here next Sunday or week from Sunday. I'm looking forward to it. In the meantime, enjoy your bye week. Share this podcast with someone you think would love it. And uh, just continue being the great fans that you are. I'm having a blast so far this season. And we'll all just continue to become smarter Packers fans together. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans. And better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdick. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.